Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. I've long struggled with how much meaning to give the All-Star Game. There are reasons to take it seriously, and there are just as many reasons to say it's a goofy, flawed, popularity contest and doesn't deserve to be taken seriously. Players sometimes have contract bonuses connected to their selection for the honor, a big reason to give it a lot of thought and get it right. And then there's simply historically what it means to a player's reputation and his legacy. But the voting construct is wacky, no matter how serious I might take filling out my ballot. And that's the conundrum. The biggest reason it's wacky is because there are simply too many cooks in the kitchen with disparate ideas of what an all-star is. First of all, there are two completely separate voting blocks. There's the fans, players, and media who combine to select the five starters with the fan vote as of right now counting for 50% and players and media getting a 25% cut each. And from what I can tell for fans, it's largely a popularity contest at best. Sometimes fans just like goofing on it, which as a fan, it's your right to do whatever you want. But it's not about who is having the best season and recognizing and rewarding them. For the media, I'd say by and large, it is about who is having the best season. And for the players... While I haven't talked to a lot of them about the all-star voting, because I just don't think that they give it that much thought, it's who they think are the best players, period, whether they're playing great that particular season or not. So that's the mixed bag approach for starters. Then the coaches select the seven remaining players for each team in each conference. They can't vote for their own players, but they can stump for them on the conference call, is my understanding. 
My understanding is also that they are big on rewarding players who aren't just having a great season, but are coaches' players, who aren't disruptive. A coach isn't likely to stump for a great player on his team who is set on getting him fired or simply isn't going along with the program. They won't pick a mediocre player over a great one in that instance, but if everything is equal, they're going with the low-maintenance option. Or they simply won't stump for their guy. They'll leave it to everybody else to decide whether they want that guy to be an all-star or not. And I would imagine that that carries a lot of weight when your, your silence is deafening. Before I dive into who I voted for and why and what made this year a particular struggle, I do want to clear something up from the last podcast regarding the Atlanta Hawks. I may have given the impression that Nick Ressler, the son of controlling owner Tony Ressler, has been given complete control over basketball operations. I did not mean to suggest that. If that's what came across, I did not mean to suggest that and have been told quite directly that that is not the case. He's not. doesn't have autonomy. Is not at the top of the uh, basketball operations masthead. Does he have a voice? Most certainly. Was uh, or is his feeling that Travis Schlank, who previously did preside over basketball operations, was leading the team in the wrong direction? And did that play a significant role in why Schlank is no longer in charge? Sure. But Landry Fields is considered the leading authority in basketball ops as GM, from what I've been told. So Nick Ressler hasn't replaced Schlank, at least not yet. Okay, so. Wanted to clear that up. Back to the All-Star Game selection. I have the privilege of being one of the 100 media members who has a ballot to select the five starters for each conference. Or <laughs> say who I would have as the five starters for each or in each conference. And from those five, you pick three front court players and two backcourt players. Now, choosing the Eastern Conference front court was by far the easiest. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, and Jason Tatum. It would have been a little more difficult if Kevin Durant wasn't injured currently. I wholly believe KD deserves to be an all-star starter. More so, actually, than any backcourt player this year, and I thought long and hard about giving him one of my three spots over Tatum. I'd feel better about leaving either Tatum or KD out of my starters if I could put the odd man out on the second team as a reserve. Which is why I believe it's time to stop separating the selection of reserves and starters. My proposal is you give everyone a 25% chunk and allow them to vote for all 24 spots. Does the league really believe that viewership is going to be different if fans have voting rights equal to players, coaches, and media, and it's not 50%. I know it's for the fans. The game is for the fans. Honestly, the game is for the corporate sponsors. The people that are showing up to attend the game in person, by and large, have business connections 
a lot of business is done on All-Star Weekend. And one of the perks is that the companies and the people that do business with the NBA get tickets to the All-Star events. How many fans are actually watching the game? And does it matter in terms of whether their guy, if they're a Nets fan, KD is playing instead of Jason Tatum? If you're a, if you're a fan of the NBA and you have all the stars in one place... I don't see how it's going to make a distinct difference in the viewing audience. Actually, as a fan, filling out a ballot, in my estimation, was the fun part. Whether or not my favorite players ended up as starters. It was about showing my devotion and maybe more than anything, wrestling with the choices. Being able to look at that list and think that I could pick my favorite team. But if my favorite player was or wasn't in the game... I don't know that it really changed my desire to watch it. Now, the East Backcourt is the first example of why I wonder about all the time and agony that I put into filling out my ballot. Uh, There's not a single has-to-be-in-the-starting-lineup candidate, but the best guards in the conference, in the Eastern Conference so far this season, are pretty clear. My candidates, my short list that I started with, that I called down for the top two spots, were Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell, Drew Holiday, Tyrese Halliburton, and DeMar DeRozan. I ultimately went with Holiday and Mitchell. And why? Because they've had the greatest impact on winning. There's a name missing in my candidates list for the top two spots and that's Kyrie Irving for a reason he has little to no impact on winning he is an amazing talent if I could watch him handle the ball and create shots all day long I would I'd put that on a loop but if we're talking about all-star and we're talking about winning that's a different thing because all of his talent all of what he does generally has no rhyme or reason when it comes to the game. He may have had his best performance against the Phoenix Suns, stopping their four-game losing streak. But that kind of performance, that kind of taking the game by the scruff of the neck and making all the right plays and finding teammates does not happen on a regular basis. All too often, what he does has no rhyme or reason when it comes to the game. I would vote for him if I were in the mindset many years ago, or the mindset that I had many years ago, when I decided that the All-Star Game should just be treated as purely an exhibition, entertainment, the NBA's version of a Harlem Globetrotters game. Get the most dazzling tricksters and showmen in the NBA all together and let them go crazy. In that spirit, I was stumping for Jason White Chocolate Williams to be an all-star every year. He would have been first on my ballot. His creativity alone passing the ball was second to none. Consider him, or considered him, a modern-day Pistol Pete Maravich. Now, why the change in my perspective? Because while I may take all-star appearances with a grain of salt in terms of what they mean when I am sizing up a player, whether it's now or it's his legacy... History does not. 
Stories are written about so-and-so being a five-time all-star. Comparisons are made with so-and-so being a ten-time all-star versus another, versus another player only making the game seven times, as if the ten-time all-star were a better player, a more successful player. So we clearly equate meaning and significance to guys being in the game. There's the guys that have never been an all-star versus the guys that can say they were at one point an all-star. The meaning and significance, if we dig into each and every appearance, might not be worthy of what we attach to them. In no way is Kyrie Irving the best guard in the Eastern Conference right now. This recent stretch with KD shelved with a sprained knee ligament exposes what Kyrie is, a highlight reel. They've gone one and four since KD went down. KD, uh, Kyrie sat one of those five games. Uh, in the other three losses, he shot 38% overall and 23% on threes. And yet, the latest fan vote has him the top vote getter in the Eastern Conference there is a very good chance he will be an all-star game starter. What are we doing? If you want to know why the NBA game feels as if it has become a glorified AAU dog and pony show, that is part of it. We reward individualism in a team game, a team pursuit. Now, some of you may be thinking, hey, what's the big deal? It's one all-star game. Kyrie isn't the first player to be the top fan, fan vote-getter who isn't the best player at his position in a given season. And you're right. The reason I've become more sensitive to the injustice of the voting system and cavalierly handing out all-star recognition is that I've been covering the league for a few decades now. And I see how guys I watched play are compared to guys I'm watching now and how accolades and highlights are used to suggest players 10, 15 years ago are inferior to today's players. If you're in fascinated, enthralled with what Kyrie Irving does, how many of you saw his godfather, Rod Strickland? Because he was a magician as well. How many all-star appearances did he have? Not a one. Led the league in assists one year. Was... As good a finisher around the rim, as tricky as anybody you could imagine in terms of finding his shot, getting guys involved. I loved watching him play. Rod had a few of his issues while he was, while he was playing. But in terms of pure talent, if we're just talking about talent, handling the ball, finishing. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, He was as good as anybody that I saw during that period playing the position. And yes, part of my aggravation is fueled by the whole Jordan and LeBron comparisons. And more on LeBron in this year's all-star selection process in a minute. But my aggravation is also fueled by the thought of how Drew Holiday might be viewed historically because he's currently a one-time all-star. 
if I'm trying to win a championship, I'm taking Drew Holiday over Kyrie Irving all day, every day. Kyrie is a more creative scorer, no argument. But in every other way, Drew is a better player. He's a better defender. He's a better passer. He's a better decision maker. He's certainly a better leader. And he's really not that far behind Kyrie when it comes to scoring ability. Strong enough to finish at the rim, and he's a better three-point shooter. But he's not in New York, and he hasn't abandoned two different teams, and he isn't constantly mired in controversy, and he doesn't profess his spiritual beliefs and worldviews when he gets behind a microphone after a basketball game. So he's not the lightning rod or messiah for young fans that Kyrie is, which apparently makes for all-star recognition. I actually don't have a problem with Kyrie being in the game as much as I look at Drew having no chance, at least not based on fan voting. He's not in the top 10. Halliburton is 8th. Darius Garland is 10th. All three of those players are having better seasons than Kyrie is. The west side of the ballot was even harder to fill out. Let's start with the backcourt. Two spots and the players I feel deserve to be starters based on this season include John Morant, Luka Doncic, and Steph Curry. That's a problem right there. A host of other guards are also deserving of all-star recognition. CJ McCollum, who has kept the Pelicans together and winning despite the extended absences of Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who has the OKC Thunder with a winning record and is making his case to pose the same all-star recognition problem in the future as Steph is now with Luka and Ja. Damian Lillard is back to doing Damian Lillard things, averaging 29-7. and seven. I keep hearing about how LeBron James is having an MVP-like season. Well, Lillard's numbers are comparable, and as of today, the Blazers have a better record. So that means... He's having an MVP-like season too, right? All right, so let's check the, the latest fan voting for the Western Conference backcourt <laughs> since I've given you my top choices. No McCollum to be found anywhere. He's the Drew Holiday of the Western Conference. Steph is leading the voting, and you will never hear me disparage fans for appreciating him, but does he deserve to start over Ja and Luka this year? Again, I'd have less trouble filling out my ballot if I were voting for the entire roster. And by the way, I'd make a case for doing away with front court and back court stipulations too. Make it the best 12 players from each conference. It's not as if there's a huge disparity in size or function between back court and front court players these days. And now that we have captains selected and they're choosing up teams, it's not as if you have a natural separation between the players. If one captain wanted to, he could load up his team with perimeter players. And again, if we're looking to make all-star recognition what it purportedly is, which is recognition of the best players in the NBA at the halfway point in a given season, then let's open it up so that we're able to do that in the best way possible. All right, now for the Western Conference front court. I save the best, or more arduous, for last. There's only one player who deserves to be a lock, and that's Nikola Jokic, center of the Denver Nuggets. If we're going on the combination of individual stats and winning, DeMontis Sabonis or Lowry Markkinen deserves the second slot. 
course, that's not how the fan voting looks. Markkanen is 7th. Sabonis is 10th. LeBron is the top vote-getter. Ahead of Jokic by nearly 2 million votes. By far the greatest separation between 1st and 2nd in any of the four categories. Which just makes me laugh at the ridiculousness of it. The two-time reigning MVP on the team with the second best record in the entire league and tops in the conference is two million votes behind LeBron, who is leading the 13th-seeded Lakers as I record this. Statistically, Jokic is outperforming LeBron in every way imaginable other than points. And that's because Jokic, Jokic isn't trying to score. He's trying to win. And yet, and this may surprise you, I put LeBron on my ballot. Yes, I did. I absolutely hate the narrative that he is having this amazing season and the Lakers front office is letting him down by not spending their last few remaining assets to add win-now talent to the roster. He masterminded this team. It's his team. AD and Russ Westbrook were the guys that he wanted. The innuendo that he wanted DeMar DeRozan and the Lakers refused, or he wanted them to keep Alex Caruso, and he wanted Ty Lue as head coach and Jason Kidd to stay on as an assistant, is all clutch or pro-LeBron propaganda. If he wanted any of that to happen, it would have happened. So the idea that the Lakers are wasting LeBron's final years is not rooted in reality. The reality is any team that has had LeBron has had to keep him happy or run the risk of him complaining, complaining that he doesn't have enough around him to win and threatening to leave. Check the tape. It has happened every single time. It's happening now. But now, for the first time, a team is not doing what is necessary to keep him happy. And why? Well, one, because they've done it three times already in terms of changing the roster around him, and they have one championship in the bubble to show for it. And largely because the payoff for keeping him happy is no longer there or hasn't been for the last two seasons, essentially. Cry all you want about the surrounding cast. The Lakers are 4-6 and six in the games that LeBron hasn't played. They are averaging 117 points for the season, 114 points in the 10 games without him. Scoring is not the issue. But that's where LeBron's focus has been. And the fact that they're able to score, they don't need LeBron to go get 40 for them to score if he's doing other things, playmaking and getting others involved. That was demonstrated against the Memphis Grizzlies the other night. But why is he focused on scoring? We all know why. For those of you who pray at the altar of advanced analytics, try these out. LeBron is fifth in usage rate in the entire league, first on the Lakers. But he's 13th in value over replacement. Translation, if anybody is responsible for the Lakers 21 and 25 record, it's LeBron. With the fifth highest usage rate in the entire league, you would hope that he would at least have the fifth value over replacement spot, not the 13th. What it says is that they're not getting enough bang out of their buck for the amount that LeBron 
is handling the ball, the number of plays that are run for him. So why did I put him on my ballot over Markkanen and Sabonis? Because when it comes to pure ability, he does contribute in more ways than either of those two guys. I'm not questioning his talent, even now at age 38, which is not what most people purport it to be. He's not an MVP candidate. But my biggest issue is how he has chosen to apply that remaining talent. I can't count the number of games that hung in the balance in the final minutes and he decided to jack up an off-balance three-pointer because, well, what the hell he could. He's got the freedom to do that. The number of games where he looks to score early and often. Why? Because he knows he's not going to have the gas at the end to get it done in most cases. If he was really trying to get the most out of this team, he would be looking to get other guys involved and going and feeling good about their shots early on. Doesn't happen. And then he would close. That would be, to me, the greatest formula for winning the most games. But because scoring is more important, the number, the average, the getting past Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he's taking care of himself first. It's what galled me when he apparently got mad the other night when Russ Westbrook jacked a three up in the final minutes of their recent loss to the Sacramento Kings. I can't remember exactly what the score was, but it, it was he, he could have taken another shot. He could have attacked. They could have worked the ball. They could have done something else. Russ was open, top of the key, decided to let it go. Russ, after LeBron gave him the stink eye and said something, just shook his head like, I can't believe you're getting on me for something you do all the time. Now, it was an ill-advised shot by Russ, but LeBron ain't the one to call him out on it because he has his own catalog of such shots. And here's the thing. LeBron wasn't always like this. There was a time when he wouldn't take a shot unless it was wide open, and even then, if a teammate was also open, he'd more than likely swing it to him. I take no pleasure in calling LeBron out for what he is doing. He's 38, he's on a losing team, he's accomplished enough in his career that I'm not mad that he's doing whatever the hell he wants. I don't admire it, but I'm not mad at it. I mean, really, who cares? What I'm not going to do, though, and what sets my teeth on edge is defend what he's doing or commend him for it which is what I see far too many fans and media members doing isn't it amazing what LeBron's doing no not really he's not playing great basketball he's not playing winning basketball obviously he's putting up great numbers or in truth good numbers considering the kind of numbers that are being put up this season I am amused by all the social media posts, and this isn't just with LeBron. It's with any number of players. The posts have people who are all slack-jawed over Jokic putting up some sort of statistical anomaly or Luka having some sort of historic combination of points and rebounds or LeBron scoring as no 38-year-old has before. I'm thinking, are any any of you posters paying attention? And by the way, it's not just fans. I'm listening to the broadcast of Mike Breen and Mark Jackson, two guys who I've worked with, I admire, I appreciate, but they they made mention of the number of 40-plus point games that LeBron has, and Jordan has five, and or however many there, there were. I can't remember the exact numbers, but 
the rest of the league outside of Jordan and LeBron have a total of one after the age of 30, uh, whatever it was. And I'm thinking, come on. You guys know as well as anybody. They know as well as anybody what the game is like now. Can we put things into context? Isn't that our job as the media is to give things that are happening, putting them in proper context, context not getting all fan-eyed and, wow, I can't believe that happened. I don't see that as my job. It isn't extraordinary if everybody is doing it. I know some will suggest that it's a result of being in a small market that Drew or CJ or DeMontis or Lowry aren't getting more votes. And that contradicts something else that has been suggested. That teams root for players, excuse me, fans root for players more than they do teams these days, at least in the NBA. And that fans are smarter and more well-versed in what's going on in the league than ever before. They have access to more information. Certainly between League Pass and social media and all the statistical websites, fans do have access to watching and tracking and comparing the best players in the league at any given time on any given night. Better than they ever have before. They have that ability. There's no excuse for not knowing what Holiday or McCollum or Markkanen are doing this season. Unless it's not about that. Unless... You're just voting for a player because he's on your team or he's your favorite player, which doesn't make him an all-star. It makes him the prettiest girl at your high school. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the next episode, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to advertise that I'm going to talk about something, and now i got to hold to it. And that is the back and forth between Joel Embiid and Akeem Olajuwon. Akeem Olajuwon made a statement about Embiid versus Jokic, and Embiid didn't take very kindly to it. And considering that Akeem supposedly is one of Embiid's idols, I found the exchange very interesting. I want to dive into what the two of them said and what it says about them and the state of the league and the NBA and the game at this point. All that in the next episode. Until then, as always, thanks for listening. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns